as long as there are two people alive that remember, the question will always be asked, who do you think Jack the Ripper was? You're listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here are your hosts, Christy, Amber, and Scott. I'm Christy. I'm Scott. I'm Amber. And I'm Chris. We are here with our final Jack the Ripper episode, joined by Chris Garcia, our special guest. And if you haven't listened to the first two episodes of the Jack the Ripper series, we highly recommend you go back, listen to those where we talk about the timeline, we talk about the victims, and, you know, some of this stuff will probably make a lot more sense unless you already know all about jack the ripper in which case welcome to our lair yeah i can summarize it though very quickly for them uh five people were killed they might not have been prostitutes and we said some dirty words that is a very good summary yeah actually that, that that sums it up yeah yeah so, uh, real quick, rays of lights. Uh, the wheel is spinning. The wheel is spinning. Scott. Oh crap! I'm on IMDb. <laughs> I play Dominic in the new cartoon, uh, Stickman, and uh, yeah, it, it was really neat to see like Douglas Scott Mort up on IMDb, and like, yeah, this is all right. This is good. This is either the start or something or a flash in the pan, but either way, eh, not everybody gets their name up on IMDb. Damn straight, you're a star! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> All right, Chris, Ray of Light. I actually have two. One is this wonderful podcast, Detectives by the Decade, oh. which I've been listening to and is so great. The latest episode is absolutely phenomenal. I cannot wait for more. I need more. <laughs> Give me more. You will um, be very excited to hear that I have a two-parter coming up on our favorite father of criminology, Vidulk. Ooh. But the other one is the greatest television con- – the stupidest television concept that makes the greatest television show, Floor is Lava. <laughs> I saw that. Oh, my God. Isn't that great? It's so much fun, and yet the concept is so stupid, and I just adore it. It's it's super spectacular. I have to see this. I have not watched it, but every single time I go to Netflix, it's like the number one suggestion. Like you should watch this. They're not wrong. It goes great with it goes great with Tiger King. Watch them one off after the other. It really, really sets one another off. Do you feel I've never like seen the it. Do you feel like the rest of the world watches America like America watched Tiger King? Because <laughs> I cannot, <laughs> I I cannot help but feel sorry for Canada. Because Canada, I'm saying this right now. I, as an American, I'm sorry. It must be like living in an apartment above meth heads. I apologize. No, there are hat. They make us look fancier. Oh. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Canada. You've done such good things. Maple syrup, letter Kenny. Uh, <laughs> you know what? That too is those. That's enough, really. <laughs> and we're sitting down here with just our thumb in our ass and just like 
honest to God, I wouldn't be surprised tomorrow if there was a fad where, like, just if you got a cough, it's you spit in a stranger's mouth. And it's just fucking accepted in America. Jesus Christ. Yeah. That was the ray of light. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We, oh. we make everything so dark so fast. <laughs> we do. Prior to the recording, we were talking about the electric chair. <laughs> Only because I bought a transformer that turns into an electric chair. But and still, you disappointed started, me with it. We started with a transformer and we ended up at electric chair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no matter how we got there. The destination was the same. Amber, well, what's... Technically, we started with a GoBot. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Wisting that knife. Yeah. Amber, what's your ray of light? Uh, my ray of light is spreadsheets, which sounds bizarre. But I got this, <laughs> this like giant project dumped on me at work, but I'm very excited about it. I don't know if they meant it as a punishment, but they have no idea how much I fucking love spreadsheets. So, like, I, I'm geeked, and, and like, I, I'm loving it. <laughs> Spreadsheets are the best. I am a huge fan of spreadsheets. I'm I'm spreadsheet girl. You are. <laughs> Me too. I'm totally spreadsheet girl. <laughs> My ray of light is it actually starts off with a not ray of light. Uh, I've gained a little bit, not a lot of weight over the course of the past uh, six months or so dealing with first a uh, a degenerative back disease and then uh, in addition to that you know a global pandemic and you add those things two two things together and you, you get christy stress eating uh, and not exercising so uh gained a little bit of weight tried on like all of my shorts none of them fit so i was like fuck it i'm buying dresses so i went on and i bought a bunch of dresses and four of them have pockets <laughs> i'm telling you I do chores around the house and I listen to podcasts and I have to, if I don't have pockets, I have to carry my phone from room to room while also doing other things or else like my Bluetooth headset like loses the, the signal if I go like to the next room. So it is so nice to just be able to slip the phone into my pocket and walk into another room like every human being should be able to. I agree. I agree with that. Everything should have pockets. Yes. You know, the vagina is nature's hot pocket. I don't even know. Like, I, I'm not going to lie. Like, I use my bra a lot. If I'm not wearing something with pockets, I'll just, like, shove my phone in my bra. It works. Whatever. Me, I me too. I won't do that with money, though. Like, I'm not that person. But, like, <laughs> I'll do it with my phone. <laughs> you pay right, with I cash, have... check, or boob sweat today. <laughs> I have no segue here. Uh, we are talking about the suspects in the Jack the Ripper murders. Chris gave us a list of what he considers really his top 10 and then an additional smattering of some some kind of out there ones uh, this was very helpful in paring it down because there are a lot chris tell me again how many you total have suspects in your personal list i actually went over all of my notes lately um and i have 207 named suspects 48 concept suspects uh the concept suspects are actually the more interesting ones because they're like uh jack the ripper was a homeless ghost uh <laughs> jack the ripper the horse uh, <laughs> oh my God. uh jack the ripper the performance art piece these are actual ones i have 
Before that we're done, I want to talk about the horse. <laughs> it's actually a stupid, funny concept. Because I have a to write a theory. Book around. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so there are so many out there. Um, I have seen that in the actual investigation, there were 80 named by uh, the two big names you're going to come up across all this episode, McNaughton and Abilene. And they had opinions and were not idiots, but they were close. <laughs> I would after after doing the research for this week, I would would agree with you on on that. Yes. So we have uh, Scott and Amber and I have divided these up, and I don't. They're really not in any particular order. So um, rock paper scissors. Who wants to start? Oh, that's right. <laughs> Honestly, who wants to start? I'll go ahead. I'll go ahead and start. So do I, it. I, I'm gonna save. I'm gonna save my my most likely. What I feel the most likely suspect. I'm gonna save him for last. Uh, but I, I think probably uh, the yeah. I would say probably Frederick Bailey Deeming uh, is right up there. I believe we did an episode on Deeming, didn't we? Yes, we did. Yeah. In fact. Uh, he's an English-born Australian gas fitter and murderer, which is a weird combination of occupations. Uh, but I can see how one would lead to the other. And he was convicted and executed for a woman, uh, the murder of a woman in Melbourne, Australia. Um, he, was, he was called a difficult child growing up. Uh, 16 years of age, he ran away to sea and began a long career of crime. He was a thief, a con man. Uh, and he was responsible, and once again, you can go back and, and listen to this episode. He was responsible for the murder of his first wife, Marie, and his four children in round about at the end of July, 1891. And then his second wife killed her too, Emily Mather in Windsor. Uh, what what kind of makes him, makes people think that this is Jack the Ripper? Uh... Well, there was, in, on March 17th, 1892, there was a New York Times uh, newspaper. That, the headline was, perhaps Jack the Ripper, question mark. Not really, it's just a period. The startling discovery made <laughs> in Liverpool. A man arrested in Australia. Um, it, he may have been in England in late 1888. He, he may have been around there at the time of the Whitechapel murders. And a lot of, like, the, the Melbourne Waxworks uh, kind of went, oh, yeah, this is Jack the Ripper. And that, you know, he was, uh, he was identical to Jack the Ripper because the man had a fucking mustache that you could hang glide with. Um, <laughs> I mean, literally, it just looks like it's going to cocoon and take flight. And a, a, lot of, a lot of people still think Robin Knapper, a former Scotland Yard detective, he... He believes that Deeming was Jack the Ripper. And he says that Deeming's death mask is that of Jack the Ripper. And even Scotland Yard has it in there. Honestly, there's... You know, there's not a lot of evidence pointing to the fact that Deeming is Jack the Ripper. You can't just say because, okay, this guy killed a bunch of people. And he killed his wife. He killed his children. And you know what? Uh, he might have lived around that time. Now, and the thing that gets me, the thing that gets me about Deeming 
And this is going to sound very weird, but this is the this is what makes me think that he's not Jack the Ripper. We don't know of anybody that Deeming ever killed that wasn't related to him. It was wives and children. That's fair. Yeah. 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 So I do not believe Deeming to be Jack the Ripper. Uh, I may be wrong, but... And you know what we've had... We, we talked about last week. The, the multiple Jack the Rippers. Maybe. Maybe he killed one or two. Uh, but I don't believe he was responsible for any of the canonical five. I agree with you, Scott. And I have one of the reasons why he's on my list of the ones that are most interesting to look at is that if you look at the methodology at which he took his victims, it is the very baseline of what the Ripper would have done. Lots of throat slitting, uh, which, you know, do what you're good at. Um, the disemboweling didn't happen, which I think was the key to the Ripper killings. Uh, but, you know, I think really the reason why he became so ingrained was the murders that happened later felt like something that you needed to explain via the Ripper. It's the same way now that every serial killer is compared to uh, pretty much either the Zodiac or the Night Stalker. Uh, they're sort of touchstones, and the Ripper was a touchstone, but it was so close in time, it just sort of got melded together. Still, shit heel, uh, but probably not the Ripper, though the poem is so good that I kind of wish he was. So so you're, you're hoping he was just because the poem is nice. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, isn't that, <laughs> isn't that how this works? That's a good enough reason for me. If you want to hear more about deeming, actually, that was episode 51. I, I took a, a quick look. That seems like it was a million years ago. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, it does. But that is, I mean, we've already, we've already done deeming to death. <laughs> and <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't think so. Who, Christy. Who do you think of as your least likely Ripper suspect? I mean, least likely? Yeah. Bill Gates? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, out of your list. list of suspects. On the list of suspects. And on, Bill on my... Gates has obviously murdered somebody. You don't get that wealthy without killing a few people. <laughs> I know um, Bill Gates. He is not a murderer. He is maybe uh, he holds a girl in the basement for a couple of decades, guy. But I honestly, he's not a murderer. My, my, my buddy, Xavier, my buddy, Xavier, B buddy, how you doing? He, he did a huge flex. Uh, this cute Asian woman uh, came into uh, came into the shop where he works in uh, Mountain View. And he's kind of flirting with this Asian woman. And then her husband comes in and she goes, oh, this is my husband. And it was Bill fucking Gates. And Xavier made like he didn't know him and just treated him like a normal person. And, yeah, whatever. Hey, how's it going? And kept hitting on his wife. <laughs> I thought yeah, that was Bill Zuckerberg. Uh, you're right. Fuck, it was Zuckerberg. My apologies. I know your story's better than you did. I, you're <laughs> we, right. We've officially been doing this podcast for too long. You're right. God damn it was the Zuck. It absolutely yeah. was the Zuck. 
And I know him too. He's a nice guy. He's a really nice guy. He's much nicer than Bill Gates, for sure. <laughs> you hear that, Bill? You better shape up. Whenever the lizard people are nicer than you, fuck, man. <laughs> the, anyhow, the question was asked um, out of the the cases that I, or the suspects that I took, I would say my least likely would be Druitt. Really? Yeah, yep. Yeah. I just didn't, I didn't see anything that pointed in that direction. So, I mean, I didn't, didn't, maybe I didn't dig as deep as I could have, but I went to the main sources, you know? So Tell that, us that, more. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Are we going to do this round robin style then? Let's okay. do it round robin. Okay. I like it. So, uh, Montague John Druitt. Uh, now, he was a favorite of McNaughton, uh, Melville, Melville McNaughton that Chris referenced earlier, who was the assistant commissioner to the Metropolitan Police, not in the years of the Ripper, but in later years. And McNaughton said that he seemed to, said or seemed to imply that he'd been given some information by mutual friends of his and the Druitt family that pointed him in the direction of Druitt. So, Druitt was born August 15th, 1857 in Wimborne, Dorset, which is about 100 miles southwest of London. His father was a doctor. He was the second son. Uh, he graduated with a degree in classics in 1880. He had an upper-class education. He was a sportsman. He was a Oh, I'll go ahead and say it. He was a master debater. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Penis joke. <laughs> that one was for you, Scott. Thank you. He was really big in cricket. He was kind of scrawny. Like, he was he was fairly thin, but he was known for having quite strong arms and wrists, which I admit would be good for the strangling. So uh, he started off teaching, moved into law. Uh, he was admitted to the bar in 1885, but he, he did both, essentially. He taught at a boys' school. He was an assistant master at a boarding school, and he practiced some law. And he also was in cricket clubs. He was an officer in a cricket, football, and lawn tennis club. If you follow our social media, you would have seen me having a, an interesting issue with a typo there. Got ball. Not a thing. So... <laughs> His father died in 1885, and his mother ended up in the asylum in 1888. He was living in Blackheath, and the address where he was living was, is about a two-hour walk to Whitechapel. And it doesn't seem like the trains would run on a schedule that would have let him use those as transportation for the murders. Not all the murders. It would have worked for two or three, but the ones that were like much like later in the morning I guess later at night the ones that were around like 435 that that would have not really worked he would have had to find some other manner of transportation now he was let go from the school at some point there was no specific reason given just that he'd gotten into some serious trouble there was conjecture about homosexuality but not any concrete evidence of that and then on December 31st, 1888, so keeping in mind 1888, the year of the, the canonical five Ripper murders, his body was found in the Thames. He had likely actually drowned himself about a month earlier, around November 30th, if you went by the tickets found in his pocket that were dated for that day. Well, one was dated for that day, and then the return ticket that he hadn't used. So, and they took that, and then they added in the the suicide note. Um, 
the suicide note said, quote, since Friday, I felt like I was going to be like mother. And the best thing for me was to die. And he was likely let go on that day or the day before. Now, suicide did run rampant in his family. Um, not to say that, you know, mental illness is hereditary. You know, obviously suicide specifically isn't, but mental illness. His mother attempted suicide. Her mother and aunt both committed suicide. Later in life, one of his sisters would commit suicide as well. Also, they found in his pockets four stones in each pocket, a little over two pounds. There were two checks there that totaled to 66 pounds. Um, a watch and chain, kid gloves, white handkerchiefs, and then, of course, the tickets. The checks were probably like a severance pay type deal is what's speculated. This was ruled a suicide committed whilst of unsound mind, and he was only 31. But he is mentioned in the Scotland Yard files. His suicide is described, and it's stated, although we don't really have any concrete notion of where this comes from, that uh, his family suspected of him of being Jack the Ripper, and he is called, quote, sexually insane, end quote. Kinky. So, yeah, well, quite. So the theory would be that he committed all the Jack the Ripper murders and then just lost it and killed himself after the Mary Kelly murder, whether from guilt or to keep himself from murdering or just, you know, like mental illness took its toll. But really, it seems like a lot of it comes down to appearance. A lot of the uh, witness estimates, you know, the witnesses to Jack the Ripper murders, they pinpoint the man seen with the murder victim as around his age. A lot of them do. And uh, he's got the mustache. You got to have that stash. It's really important if you're going to be a suspect. He dresses nicely. That lines up. Um, but size doesn't seem to line up in descriptions. The, the Ripper reports have generally like broad shoulders. And he was, as I said, fairly skinny. Also, he had quite the, the schedule with his, his cricket playing. That puts a little crimp in the theory. Um, it wouldn't have been impossible. It would have been tough. Uh, Annie Chapman was killed at 5.30 a.m., he had a match at 11.30. You know, you got to get cleaned up. You got to eat, you know, your morning meal. You got to do transportation. You know, it just seems... And, and you'd have been up all night and then going to a match. So it's possible that there is confusion because of Deeming, actually, who took on an mm -hmm. alias or two that was similar to Druid's name. And we don't really have any anything connecting him specifically to Whitechapel. It's basically McNaughton came up with some evidence, wouldn't share it, and said that he destroyed it because he didn't want to cause an uproar. So, yeah, I, I would like to know what you guys think about that. I have so many thoughts. Um, his general appearance is 100% dead-on shabby genteel. Uh, he fits that descriptor to a T. McNaughton likely latched onto three things. And you have to remember, McNaughton wasn't even on the force during the original investigation. He's like that IT guy who knows everything about your old forms just because he had lunches with the old guys who used to <laughs> fix the machines. Um, but he probably knew more than anyone, with the possible exception of Abilene, about the Ripper case files now it's highly likely that uh, the statement that his own family thought he was the Ripper was complete and total bullshit um, but it is not unlike 
he was not thought of as a sexual deviant in the extreme. He was fired from a school that was well known for being a, you know, the word breeding ground is so liberally thrown around these days. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was basically an like a petting zoo for an Epstein type. Um, and it's highly possible if you get dismissed from that type of school, you were above and beyond the worst. Oh my God. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So there is that. Um, there's all sorts of conjectures around Druid on that, that front. Uh, I think what makes him a very interesting, because I, I honestly don't think he did it, but I think you could make a good case for him having done it, is that he was a sportsman. And part of that gives him the strength. It gives him the speed. And that's key. The speed to be able to get from point to point without getting known. I think the big thing against him is that isn't necessarily the transit thing. I mean, he could have a handsome, he had enough money to actually get cabs himself uh, to catch a, a, what do you call those, with a horses and a driving thing, a horse cart. Carriage? Thing. <laughs> Carriage, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, but what is, the one thing is that he wasn't known around Whitechapel. And you would think one well, of course, Jack the Ripper wouldn't be known around White Whitechapel because uh, he needs to be, you know, not seen. But to know how to be at what place when is so utterly important that you would have had to have been in Whitechapel a significant amount and have some sort of interaction, almost certainly, to know what was going to happen. So, Druid's a fascinating character, Uh Probably didn't do it, but uh, I'm going to say totally did it. <laughs> well, there's also the fact that in McNaughton's discussion of him as a suspect, he got some facts wrong. He had the age off by 10 years. He said, yeah. you know, Drew was a doctor, but uh, as I said, Drew was a lawyer. So it could have been a case of, you know, I wish, or, you know, he got tunnel vision and wanted him to be uh, is, is, a, is also a strong possibility. Tunnel vision is McNaughton's biggest issue, and it's all every suspect he names is uh, this is going to be who it is. But he does it multiple times, which makes it really kind of weird. Um, but yeah, this it's an interesting and McNaughton. I kind of think when he was doing his writing, he kind of mixed things up because uh, one, he was incredibly old for his generation, and two. Uh, he probably just wasn't very good at his job. That's why you become a police commissioner. So <laughs> it would seem so. Could someone just yeah. keep this man off the streets, where put him behind a desk where he can do very little harm? <laughs> exactly. I think I think we can explain him hopping from suspect to suspect almost like crushes. Like it seems like he gets crushes on suspects, and then eventually he kind of is like, well, you know. I mean, he's not as cute as Tommy, you know. And Tommy said hi to me the other day in the hallway, so I think I think I like Tommy now. <laughs> but I mean, Druid is dreamy. I mean, wow, he's the ginchiest. <laughs> <laughs> he is. All right, so yeah, that is Montague John Druid. Uh, quite the name too. So uh, 
Anybody have anything else to say before we hand it over to Amber? Okay, take that as a no. <laughs> uh, Amber, you have the talking stick now. I guess go with your least likely on your suspect list. All right, so I'm going to go with Walter Richard Sickert. Oh. Uh, why? Uh, Swoon. Do you like? Oh, okay. I love, I love Sickert as a as a suspect. So. Oh, do you? I do, but I'll do tell. Okay, so he was born May 31st, 1860. He was a British painter and printmaker, um, and he was actually quite talented, and he would take a lot of his, um, he would get inspired by pictures in the newspaper up to and including the Jack the Ripper. Um, some of the theories as to why they said that he was fascinated by murder, um, he would paint portraits inspired by murder that resembled post-mortem photographs of the Ripper victims. Um, he also was told by a landlady that the room that he rented was once Jack the Ripper's. Obviously, she didn't know. She just had suspected. So he painted a scene of his own bedroom entitled something along the lines of Jack the Ripper's bedroom. So, like, it kind of made it seem a little iffy. Um, there, there was uh, somebody that said that he was impotent, and that is why he hated women. But um, evidence suggests otherwise, as he was married and his wife divorced him for committing adultery and perhaps fathering other children. Yeah, I feel like having a limp dick isn't really, really uh, a good enough reason, even in the mentally insane mind, to kill women. Uh, I'd say it would be more dangerous to have a hard-on you can't get rid of in five boxes of ammo. Yes. So, like, I know, I know, Chris likes him for for Jack the Ripper, but really, he was just a painter, and he was a little dark. But aren't we all? Um, there, there was in more recent years an author that went back and did DNA tests on some of the, the Jack the Ripper letters, and said that his DNA matched the mitochondrial DNA on at least one of the stamps. But. It's mitochondrial DNA, so that could be anywhere from one to ten percent of the population. Wow. Yep. So even though it matches him, it also matches lots and lots of other people. Um, there's also a number of letters from his family members that would place him in France at the time of the murders. Can I just say how much I fucking love mitochondria? <laughs> <laughs> I think. Uh, okay, here's here's a little side note. I fucking think mitochondria is goddamn fascinating. I mean, absolutely fucking fascinating. There are uh, extinct uh, species of mitochondria. Uh, they, we are able to track every human being on the planet back to a single ancestor we've named Mitochondrial Eve. The, the mitochondria, and here's what gets me about mitochondria. Mitochondria are not us. Mitochondria are their own creatures, creatures who have their own DNA, who live within the cells, who fucking evolve at a rate 10 times faster than humans. So from the beginning of time, whenever the first mitochondria and the first cells got together and had performed a symbiotic relationship, Think about this. Really think about this. The, there was a poison in the atmosphere. These single-cell creatures couldn't deal with it. The mitochondria could. 
they struck a deal. You, uh, we live in you and we'll process the poison for you. That poison, of course, oxygen. And, and since that time, they have been evolving at a rate 10 times what we evolve at. That's a little fucking frightening. That's terrifying. What, it, what's happening? I'm so I'm so confused and scared at the same time. Isn't it? <laughs> so one this time, <laughs> one time my toddler threw a fit because I wouldn't take her skin off, and like <laughs> at the time I was like, "This is ridiculous." But now I kind of want to take my own skin off because that freaked me out. <laughs> right. So a my lot of our a lot of our listeners are going to run around with like a like a, a fucking paring knife, cutting at themselves, going, "I need to get the tiny creatures out of me." oh my that's creepy yeah oh it's it gets even creepier too whenever you (laughs) you start to realize whenever you're a fetus your hand is just kind of a glob the mitochondria transmit a message to the flesh in between your fingers going it's time to die now and that's why you have fingers I'm never going to sleep again. Yeah. But I shower like a lot. Yeah, mitochondria are fucking creepy. I need to exfoliate. <laughs> like, to my anyway. skeleton. All right. All right. So, so Chris, I want to know, what makes you like Sickert? I don't like him for the killer. I like him because he is proof that authors are stupid. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but... Also, I'm a massive art nerd, huge art nerd, uh, and I specialize in modern art, for the most part, modern contemporary. Um, and Sickert was an artist who transitioned from sort of the Impressionism and the Post-Impressionism phase to sort of the modern art world. And part of that is that the Impressionists liked three things. They liked... Uh, painting in a methodology that more was expressive of how something was experienced as as opposed to how it looked. Two, they really liked wine. And three, they really liked hookers. Um, And Sickert Sickert was all of those things and so much more. Um, When Patricia Cornwell came up with her theory that, and it wasn't even her theory at first, Uh, She sort of latched onto it because it had been out there for a while. Um, And there's a great essay on it called The Art of Murder. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) But here's the thing. She did the the stamp DNA and that narrowed it down to 1%. And if you actually look into the markers that were found, the the 1%-ish of people who would fill that are white males of European ancestry. <gasps> no. <laughs> so everybody that was there. <laughs> yeah, roughly. Um, and the I've heard people say that even the testing itself was bogus. Um, I, I'll give her the benefit of the doubt there. Supposedly, though, she ruined one of Sickert's paintings obtaining the DNA to actually do the testing on the letter. Um, which, if true, makes her terrible, unless she was making a new artwork out of it. So, I, it's a dumb theory. But, what's interesting about it is that some of the markers in his paintings show an in-depth understanding of the Ripper. 
And I think it's more, he was a massive true crime fan as opposed to he was a guy who went out and brought some entrails to light. So, but I agree. I have a photo of that, of a painting he did that's in the National Portrait Gallery in London. Uh, and right next to it is a sign visible in the photo that says, no photos of this painting. <laughs> you rebel, you. Yeah, I, I'm sticking it to the man. <laughs> All right, uh, Scott, you're up to bat. Okay, I would have to say my next least likely was Michael Ostrog. Mm. Uh, Michael Ostrog, he was a Russian criminal. Uh, he was a swindler, and I mean, this guy had a a sheet the uh, the length of several arms. Um, so he was born in Russia, around about 1833. We don't know a lot about him, and then he emigrated to England uh, at the age of 30, around 1863, where he committed his first robbery at the University of Oxford, using the alias of "Get ready for this." Max Grief. Max Grief. <laughs> Max nice. Grief. So it's like, you know, who are you? Max Grief. Sounds kind of fucking name made up, you know? Let's uh let's keep an eye on this guy. You're supposed John Smith would have worked. John Smith would be just fine. No, but Max Grief got caught and he was ar- arrested, sentenced to 10 months in jail. Uh next year Ostrog is locked up again, uh, three months for various frauds uh, that happened in Cambridge. Uh, In 1864, he was sentenced again for eight months for fraud. In 1866, he was given seven years in prison for a series of robberies, uh, stealing gold watches mostly. Uh, In 1873, he was out of prison and uh, went on just a fucking rampage of thefts. Um, He was arrested. Burton upon Trent, uh, he he resisted arrest. He tried to fire a gun upon the officers, kind of failed at that. Uh, he was sentenced to 10 years that time because he was trying desperately to fire back at the officers. Uh, and he was supposed to be released in 1883, but uh, he, he got out in 1883, and four years later, get ready for this, Ostrog stole a trophy from a trick, uh, cricket contest. Okay. Just the trophy. And he got six months for that. 1888, he's freed again. Uh, that time, he goes to Paris. September, he commits another robbery. Sentenced again. He goes back to England, and they went, you're fucking nuts, you're going in an asylum. And he uh, that's where he stayed until 1904, and it's presumed that he died later on. Now, here's the thing. Has anybody noticed something in all of his crimes? He never killed anybody. Mm-hmm. This, this, that we know of. Yeah, that we know of. He never killed anybody. So he becomes a ripper suspect uh, just because Sir Melville McNaughton uh, in a memorandum said, yeah, he was a Jack the Ripper suspect. We didn't find anything. And then in the 19th century, uh, Philip Sugden, an expert expert on the Jack the Ripper case, he located police records that he was he was actually in prison at the time of the Ripper murders because he was always in prison. (laughs) Yeah. 
this guy was yeah. not Jack the Ripper. No, you're absolutely right. And he's an interesting one largely because it shows how uh, the police at the time associated crime as a whole, as a single thing. It's like, oh, you're passing bad checks? You're obviously a murderer. Um, he's He did have one violent arrest, which was he pulled a knife during a theft. Uh, but that said, it, you know, that happens. I mean, I've pulled knives on people. Um, I mean, but he was in prison during the time, <laughs> which... <laughs> um, McNaughton latching onto him had two things for it one he was Russian and two he was a criminal well three he kind of looks like ground groundskeeper Willie from the Simpsons oh my god he does yeah doesn't he <laughs> like he looks oh. like the human version of groundskeeper <laughs> Willie uh, uh, you're not wrong <laughs> no I'm not <laughs> But what's amazing is that McNaughton uh, applies all of this thing. Now, he may have carried a surgical knife with him uh, because even petty criminals at that time did like to be able to cut their way out of a jam. Um, but it's unlikely that he was really going to use it more than just, like, waving it around. I don't think he's a great suspect. I think he is the most Russian suspect. And I think that that is why he's a big suspect. He's a fucking commie. Yeah, they all were. <laughs> yeah, I don't like Ostrog for this at all. Was he a good guy? No. But nothing, nothing in this history says that this guy liked to dismantle people. Yeah. Unless he was really good about compartmentalizing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think <laughs> yeah. this guy was. But well, once again, in prison at the time of the murders. That's yeah. only a minor inconvenience for a criminal mastermind. <laughs> but the Jesus, I, uh, oh, go ahead, Christy, go right ahead. My joke was poor anyway. <laughs> well, mine's probably poor, too. I was like, clearly, when you're stealing cricket trophies, I mean, that's the height of criminality. Absolutely. Well, if what you're stealing it? a trophy and can't get away with it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even That's Lex Luthor, whenever he stole 40 pies, you know, <laughs> even even fucking Lex Luthor got away with stealing 40 pies, and that was horrible. But oh, my God, I think I just cracked the case. <laughs> I think he stole Druitt's cricket trophy, which drove him insane, caused him to kill five people, and then kill himself. Mm-hmm. Booyah. That's it. There it is. Done. Done. Podcast we over. It. <laughs> Night, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Our uh, sources are. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to our filthy words. <laughs> um, okay, so I, I, I'm going to admit I'm not. I don't think I'm necessarily going to do mine in order of of most to least because out of mine I don't even really have one that I think is the most. I'm basically just building up i'm saving my best for last or my my favorite and i think just the most bonkers for last so um i these are only sort of in order of least to most they're sort of they're basically in order of like least to most and then and then after that bonkeriest we'll take so. whatever you give us it's fine okay well you have no choice so <laughs> 
Thomas Neil Cream Yay. is next. And we are definitely he's he's been on the list um of, of potential episodes for a long time. We're gonna do a full episode on him sometime. So I'm not gonna dive super deep into his life uh and crimes, but yeah, he's he's definitely one I wanna hit in a full length episode at some point in time. He was born in eighteen fifty in Scotland, oldest of eight children moved to Canada with his family at age four. He did go to McGill College, studied medicine, and graduated from there in 1876. He then proceeded to knock up a girl, Flora Brooks, and he was like, well, why would I pay for an abortion when I can do it myself? And just like you and that that electrical renovation, it went badly. Uh, He nearly killed her, and her father was like, okay, well, you nearly killed my daughter, so I really think you two should get married not 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 smart um so why they did. is that where you go as a parent respectability it was such a thing it was mm-hmm. such a thing she would be ruined you know her her honor was ruined her her virginity was ruined and all that stuff her purity you nearly killed her so go ahead and marry her my yeah, right <laughs> my girlfriend's my girlfriend's father is notoriously racist he hates white people and so being that like like most likely Ariana and I are going to get married. He just doesn't say anything about me. So, I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> I feel like that's the same way. Well, he's white, but he's taking my daughter out of the house. So, okay, whatever. <laughs> One less mouth to well, feed. <laughs> well, this this marriage didn't really matter too much because Cream uh, flitted off to England the very next day. He did get some medical qualifications in both London and Edinburgh. And then he went back to Canada and he was like, you know what I'm really good at? Performing abortions. Botching abortions. <laughs> not performing. Yeah. yeah. Botching. Yeah. Um, well, I was looking at it from his perspective. Like, even apparently. if you're practicing abortions, it sounds like you're getting better. No, this guy is just botching. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was actually going pretty well. Everything was peachy till they found the body of a chambermaid named Kate Gardner in his office next to a bottle of chloroform, and yet somehow there was no murder charge. Damn it. Abortions are easy. Just punch him really hard in the stomach. That's horrifying. Uh, <laughs> then he's off to Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> and his next prop... <laughs> Oh, that was an expert level glossing over. I love it. <laughs> I've uh, I've become a pro, Chris. It's, it's, it's on my fucking resume. Once again, practicing. <laughs> practicing. <laughs> Seventy episodes in, I'm the queen of glossing. <laughs> okay, so uh, then Cream was off to Chicago, and his next problem was a woman named Marianne Faulkner, who also died after one of his. I'm going to go ahead and put scare quotes around the word operations here. Hack jobs. I was um, doing so well, but then the tweezers hit the side, her nose lit up red, and she died. <laughs> yes. Uh, he was arrested this time, but they didn't have enough evidence to convict him. Just a body. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. You know, we just have this dead body here, and yeah, I don't, I don't know what to do with it. What, policeman, what's my job? I don't know. <laughs> Um, so like every good doctor does or did in these days, he made up a snake oil cure for epilepsy. And one of his clients, Daniel Stott, sent his wife Julia to pick up a bottle. 
Um, Julia and Cream started up an affair. I love the way, I think it was on Casebook, I'm pretty sure, that they said Julia picked up much more than the, the, the medicine or something like yeah. that. Ooh. <laughs> Good phrasing there. Um, and Stott starts to realize what is up, so Cream's like, I can fix this with strychnine. And he put some strychnine in the medicine, and Stott died on June 4th, 1881. Uh... Probably nothing would have happened, but Cream was an idiot and insisted that they exhume the body. <laughs> this guy, you guys. Uh, they found strychnine in the stomach, and he ended up in the state pen with a life sentence, but was let out for good behavior in 1891. So, life sentence, eh, nine, ten years. Yeah, you're fine. You're fine. white. I don't see a problem. Go on. Get out of here. That's was he on the Stanford accident. water polo team? Because I should understand it then. Yeah, there, there you go. Hold on. Question though: Why did he insist they exhume the body? Oh, ah. that—that's a huge fun story that you should say for the full episode because it's—it is the ultimate. It is peak criminal mastermind who is actually a moron. It <laughs> really is like the justification. He explained it at one point, and it's oh, like. God. Oh my God! You really think this is true? You're a moron. No, wait. You're making me a moron. You're an idiot. <laughs> so yeah, he does get out. I'm gonna skip over a lot, which is basically him poisoning women. Um, and we'll get to that whenever we cover him in a future app. It'll probably be in the next couple months, I should say. Um, but he did end up being convicted of the murder of. Matilda Clover in England and hanged in November 1892. So, I hear what you're thinking, because I'm psychic, and it's obvious. 1881 to 1891 in prison, again, we have that case of how the hell would he have done it, and why is he even a suspect? Well, the answer to the second question, as as he was being hanged, his last words were, I am Jack. And then the noose did its job, and he didn't finish the sentence. So, um, I hate cliffhangers. I am Jack. <laughs> if they wouldn't let it go, king off, dude, because I love autoerotic asphyxiation. <laughs> there you go. We've solved it. Is it bad so, yeah, that I was help. thinking what Scott was saying? No worse it's than expected. me actually going and actually saying it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, addressing the prison time. Here is the theory that he had a double and these two would basically work off each other whenever one was in jail, the other one would go and commit crimes and use the jailed double as an alibi. The story goes that this actually did happen one time. He was up on bigamy charges. He's like, uh, I can't plead guilty because I'm already in jail in Sydney. And they contacted Sydney and the authorities there were like, yeah, we actually have a guy who meets that description exactly. So uh, the, the theory continues that when he said, I am Jack, he was giving his double a last alibi for committing the Jack the Ripper murders. The yeah, this is fun. I it mean, is. It's bizarre. Yeah, but it did happen all the time. It was not unusual for particularly rich uh, men, almost always, because no women were arrested, apparently they were just directly hanged, um, to pay someone who looked even moderately like them 
Uh, if you look at uh, prison photos that were taken, because every photo since about 1880, every prisoner was supposed to be photographed. But occasionally, problems would happen and photographs wouldn't happen one day and someone would mm. actually, yeah. <laughs> um, but two things about uh, Cream that is just awesome is one, his mustache is truly phenomenal. It isn't the ostentatious tumble tea. It's big, but it's not over the top. Uh, but the other one is this, I don't know what to call him, um, because he is one of the worst humans who has ever lived, as far as I'm concerned, uh, really believed himself to be a criminal mastermind. And I understand why people would think that he was a a ripper suspect because he presented himself like I am the greatest criminal who ever lived. And he 100% wasn't the ripper, but he is a really, really fascinating suspect that surrounds the ripper lore. Yeah, he's definitely interesting. And... I mean, the money also plays into the the other theory that basically he just bribed his way out of prison, like you know, and then the, they falsified the records to to state that he was in there. But again, the mo doesn't match up. He was he was a poisoner, mm -hmm. um, and that was that was his deal. And yes, the the killers can switch. We've seen it very very occasionally. Uh, the Vampire of Dusseldorf comes to mind, but that seems like you know uh, he he was. I, yeah, I just don't. I don't see it. I, I think it's it's definitely a reach, uh, especially with the whole double thing. So, but I guess stranger things have happened. So, yeah, no, I don't. I don't see it. Like the mo mm -hmm. between poison and ripping is so far apart. Like poisoning is, I don't want my hands dirty. This is nice and clean. Ripping is like, let me get in there and feel all them organs. Like I just exactly. <laughs> let me get up in them guts. <laughs> right. Yeah. They're so far different that I, I don't think he had the, the stomach for it, honestly. Pun. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Amber, what's your next one? I'm going to go with H.H. Holmes. Ooh, that was episode number one of Old Timey Crimey. Which was before my day. It was. But um, I'm not going to get super deep into him because we do have an episode on him. So go ahead and listen to episode one. Okay, I'll um, be right back. <laughs> <laughs> but many people do know him. He's one of America's first serial killers. Um, I, I've actually, I, I think I've heard him referenced as America's Ripper. Correct me if I'm wrong there. I have heard it, but only sort of generally, and it's not like any uh, news outlet called him. No, it's one. it's like not an official title, no. But <laughs> Yeah, you have to earn your ripper. <laughs> yes. But he had his murder castle. Uh, he was definitely a serial killer. He had the personality for it. He had the medical background. He was supposedly in London at the time of the murders. Um, They're claiming that the handwriting matches the letters. Uh, an eyewitness said that one of the Ripper victims was last seen with an American. Um, so there's a lot of things that line up that say that he could have been the Ripper. Um, but I don't, 
don't know what I feel about this. Here, here's what I here's what I don't like about Holmes. Holmes as the Ripper doesn't fit for me because Holmes was very money motivated in his murders. Exactly. You know, he but was like, he was all he about did, he Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say he did mutilate his bodies, but he also skinned them and dissolved them in acid. So, like, there was a lot more to it than what was happening in London. That was really just more a means to an end. The only reason he was stripping them and dissolving the bodies in acid was he could get a little bit more money from them by selling their skeletons to local doctors. Well, he was an entrepreneur. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very much so. Very much so. One day, like a, uh, like a spring burst forth in his basement... And instead of going, oh, no, he decided to sell it as miracle water in his fucking pharmacy. Which is yet another reason to say that he's not the Ripper, because what's he doing killing people with no money and nothing to steal? Absolutely. Like, it wouldn't it wouldn't make sense for what he's after. Right. He was after those scraps of muslin they were all holding. Um, it's a fascinating idea that H.H. Holmes could be the Ripper. He obviously wasn't. I think that that really shows because there was no financial gain. Also, the fact that he was in London is also kind of tenuous. Uh, I've seen people say that he never actually went to London. He was actually in Edinburgh. Uh, or I've also seen people saying he was in Liverpool. Uh, I would say sources very, very wildly, wildly. <laughs> um, but there's also the fact that Holmes probably didn't kill as many people as he's been given credit for yeah um uh and the ones that he definitely did do were very personal and for personal gain and unless he was kind of tying himself into these women beforehand i really don't see him actually murdering them because he didn't have that high touch sort of connection i think he actually got something out of the interaction like he did with uh what's it paisel uh the paisel family and so forth uh i don't think it's him uh, another guy with a phenomenal mustache but definitely not the ripper one, one little thing offshoot of this, though, that I really liked is that Holmes went over to train somebody to become the Ripper, <laughs> which I really like the idea of a serial killer being like, all right, guys, it's time for class. We're going <laughs> to teach you how to rip women apart. That's what we're <laughs> learning today. <laughs> lesson one, knives. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's like lesson Keep seven. Around. <laughs> lesson one, pointed sticks. <laughs> everybody small. take out your prostitute and your number two knife we're gonna get to work tonight <laughs> oh. Oh. Oh, uh, alright oh. uh, Scott who's next on your list uh, another another one uh, John Pizer I feel so bad for John Pizer uh, John yeah. Pizer he was a uh, he he was a Polish Jew. He worked as a bootmaker in Whitechapel. And the reason I feel sorry for him, you have like cool names for killers. You have like the Zodiac Killer, the Moonlight Maniac. Uh, John Pizer gets the name Leather Apron. Huh. Right? 
That's kind of cool. Yeah. It's got some cachet. I mean, like, the scariest thing in there is leather. That's about it. Uh, now, here's the weird thing. Uh, he, he didn't kill anyone. <laughs> he, he, has, uh, he had, like, one prior conviction for a stabbing offense. But like we said, who doesn't? Um, they're like parking tickets here in Johnstown. Uh, um, I, 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 I don't have any stabbing convictions. Yes. Right. Nor do I have any convictions against it. So yeah. there you Maybe. go. Uh, he just, he had a cop that was kind of, kind of after him. He was, uh, he was arrested by police Sergeant William Thick for the murders of Marianne Nichols and Annie Chapman. Uh, and he had, he had a, an alibi. He absolutely had an alibi. Um, he'd been staying with relatives at the time of one of the one of the canonical five. He was talking talking with a constable while witnessing a raging fire on the London docks at the time of another murder. Um, really, there isn't any any concrete evidence to even suggest Pizer was the Ripper. Um, who yeah. needs evidence? Yeah, it, it really was just a thing where where Sergeant Thick didn't like this Polish Jewish guy and just went, ah, you're the Ripper. Come with me. And he, it got so bad enough uh, that Police Sergeant Thick was later accused by H.T. Hasselwood of, of Tottenham in a September 10th, 1888 letter to the Home Office just saying he's a malicious prick and this was without just cause. Yeah. Hold on. Time out. I love the name Hasselwood. Hasselwood. That's great. Hasselwood. Is, is he is he a lawyer? Uh H T uh, Hasselwood. Let me look up and exactly what he is here. Uh H T Hasselwood. Uh, uh he was just a member of the public. He was a concerned uh concerned public uh person. Okay, I'm gonna picture him as a Degura type. Uh, gay porn star. Okay. Uh, yeah, Hasselwood. Mm -hmm. yeah. I like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like See, that. No, like, I, I picture him as like an angry old man that just like types letters to the newspaper every single day. <laughs> and then after this, I'm going to call the cable company. <laughs> By the way, if you haven't, do yourself a favor. There's a lawyer from the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s uh, Francis E. Deck, who used to write these insane, angry, ranting letters. And there are uh, hundreds of recordings of them that people have done that are worth listening to because they are so insane. Uh, but this actually ties in because his letters were incredibly anti-Semitic. <laughs> the London police force was incredibly anti-Semitic. If they could pin the Ripper murders on a Jewish person living in Whitechapel, they had to do it, they felt, because the scourge of Judaism was entering into England at ever higher numbers because of the exodus out of uh, Eastern Europe. There's no evidence, with one exception, that there's any tie even close to Pizer being the Ripper. Uh, and that is, of course, at the Miller's Court murder, or not Miller, the other one, 
the second Annie Chapman, uh, they did find what they thought was a leather apron in a thing of water, and it wasn't actually. It was just a dead cat. Human. Yeah, just a dead cat. It's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> um, but, yeah, leather apron was a serious suspect, is still debated, and yet only came up because they wanted to find the baddest, nastiest Jew in Whitechapel. And his name came up because he did hassle uh, prostitutes quite frequently. Uh, he was somewhat violent-ish, as I've seen various levels of violence attributed to him. Um, but honestly, the only reason he was a, a Ripper suspect was that he was a Jew living in Whitechapel. And that's a shame. Yeah, it really is. I feel bad for the guy. That's a lot to go through just because somebody doesn't like your, you know, race and ethnicity. Well, he's dead now. Okay, so a lot to have gone through. Was it was it the tents that bothered you? <laughs> <laughs> I hope he's haunting somebody right now. Hopefully, McNaughton. <laughs> Hopefully, just a prostitute. <laughs> hey, baby, come on! Look, huh? look underneath my leather apron. What? Why is he French? Just because. <laughs> Whenever you're dead, you get to be whatever you want. <laughs> and he was a Francophile. I totally get it. Absolutely. <laughs> Love Jerry Lewis. Abso hey, guess what, baby? I was Jack the Ripper, but they blamed it on a dead cat that they found. Hear me? <laughs> they lifted it up, and obviously this cat is Jack the Ripper. Have you ever seen what a cat does to a bird? And this cat, feeling guilty, drowned itself. Queso! Ho ho! All right, I'm going to hit up Tumbletee next, Francis Tumbletee. I'm not going to go too deeply into this because we talked about him very recently in episode 66, right before we started uh, up the, the Jack the Ripper series. So if you want to hear the full uh, details of his weirdness, please go listen to that episode because the full details of his weirdness are quite weird. And we also do discuss his uh, you know, potential connection to the Ripper there. In, in more detail with uh, appearance and everything. Just really what you need to know, he, he was a noted quack. He was an absolute weirdo. He collected women's uteri, not men's uteri for some reason, sexist. Um, <laughs> he could have gotten a scrotum or two. For all we know. Um, I mean, you know. Uh, and when he... <laughs> When he did murder people, it was generally medical malpractice, really, what you would call now. He, his snake oil was bad and killed people was essentially what happened. And, you know, uh, so he, he, he wasn't a real doctor. He did have a serious hatred for sex workers and women. Um, and another factor in here is that he was a homosexual. And that by no means means that you should be pinned for murder. Scotland Yard Chief Inspector John Littlechild did consider him a likely suspect. Now, he was in London around the time of the murders. There was somebody who was living in a lodge house in Whitechapel who came back the night of the Liz Stride murder, then left, but left a blood-stained blood, blood shirt behind them. That person might have been Tumbletee, but... Uh, it might have been somebody else too. Um, he 
some factors that in are in his favor as far as being a suspect. He did have the money. He was quite a wealthy man through all of his snake oilery and quackery um, to have uh, multiple sets of clothes. If if one you know set got blood stained, another didn't, which isn't something we really think about. But if it is. It would be a factor in many murders, I think, serial murders where blood is involved, uh, because, yeah, back in that day, many people didn't have more than one or two sets of clothing, especially in a poor district like Whitechapel. But the fact is, I don't know if that really matters, because the Jack the Ripper performed these murders in such a way that he would have minimal blood staining. So I, I really don't know if that is even a factor. He did have the money to flee when necessary, so the money is, is important there, too. And he did flee a lot. He was always moving around. He had aliases. Um, he did get charged in London with gross indecency and indecent assault with force and arms against four men. Um, and those incidences were eight charges that happened between July and November. Um, that was basically a code for homosexual acts. Um, and it was basically... Uh, they also held him on suspicion of the murders, but he got bailed out. Uh, he bailed out and he skipped bail, fled to America on November 16th, which if you remember, uh, November was the last murder. So this is after that. And there are no more murders after his arrest. But I would argue that that's probably true of pretty much anybody who was um, arrested after November 8th. <laughs> so... Sure. It seems like, it seems like maybe, uh, in, in Scott's case with Pizer, it was a case of probably being persecuted for being Jewish. And in this case, even though I have no admiration for Tumblety, I think he is an absolute misogynistic dickwad. Um, I don't, I, I figured he was probably being persecuted for the homosexuality. Yes. And for general Dick Waddedness. That too, yes. Um, Dick Waddedness think... was my high school gym teacher. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a lot of reasons why it wasn't Tumble Tea. Um, there are a lot of reasons why Tumble Tea is, in general, a uh, person of interest in every case uh, in Victorian London. Uh, I don't see it. Uh, and I believe that the lodger was Tumblety, 100%. I believe that he was actually performing an abortion, and that would explain why the shirt was red. Sure, absolutely. Um, I don't think it is tied to the Ripper by anything more than just coincidence. Um, and that mustache, sweet Jesus, that mustache. Yeah, that mustache, indeed. Yeah, you've got a thing for mustaches, dude. It was Quiet the golden you. era of the mustache. <laughs> it really was. Not my thing. Just not my thing. Yeah, same. Noted. <laughs> All right. So, Amber, who's next on your list? Okay. So, what if it wasn't Jack the Ripper, but Jill? Yeah. Ooh. Oh. So I love I love this theory. I love it. All right. So Jill the Ripper was a midwife and an illegal abortionist that got turned in by a female, maybe even a prostitute, turned her over to the law. She goes to jail. She gets out. She's mad. So 
This theory was because if a midwife was covered in blood, nobody would think twice. If she were alone with the woman, no one would be scared. At the time, the midwives were actually known to use pressure points on a woman's neck to render her unconscious, which is something that they would do during tough labor. Also known as the sleeper hold. Right? It's well known. Randy Savage, one of the greatest midwives of all time. Uh, so Randy this... Savage never used a sleeper hold. You're thinking of uh, Barbara Beefcake? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so this theory of Jill the, Jill the Ripper gained some traction when there were rumors that Mary Kelly, one of the victims, was pregnant at the time of her death, which would give her access to Mary Kelly. Um, nobody would look twice at a midwife going into her home. Um and another another thing that was said is that one of the witnesses interviewed following Kelly's murder was adamant that she saw Kelly alive and seriously hung over right before her body was discovered. She insisted that she'd seen her outside of the Britannia public house wearing a dark shirt, velvet bodice, and maroon-colored shawl. So if there was a Jill the Ripper, she could easily take those clothes to disguise herself. Hmm. Amber got my favorite of the theories that's out there. Um, and the reason why I think it is, is because of the rippings. And so let's say uh, a woman gets out of jail and she's discovered that to pass the time while she was gone, her husband has been frequenting prostitutes. And she's already a little unhinged, but now she's way unhinged. And, oh, crap. That's a big-ass spider. Um, <laughs> it's okay, Jack the Ripper! <laughs> Probably not. Um, but So she goes out, and she doesn't know who the prostitutes are. But she, in her mind, has put it in that every prostitute she sees until she finds the pregnant one has been with her husband and is carrying his child. And so she has to rip out their uteruses, has to remove them, has to take this away. And she has the skill to do it. I love that as a cinematic theory. It does have some problems, such as every description of everyone that every woman was with always <laughs> mentioned the man. But let us not let witnesses take away from what would make a much better, much more marketable story. I agree. I like this one, but it's definitely not true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I kind of want it to be. <laughs> well, Amber, you can do it. I believe in you. <laughs> make your dreams reality. It, it Keep... doesn't make sense, but I love the theory. Don't let Sounds your like dreams algebra. be dreams, Amber. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Scott, what you got? This is the guy. I'm <laughs> I'm a hundred percent convinced. This is the guy. No. All right, show's over. We no, got it. No shit. Yep. Yep. Let's go. Aaron Morke Kaminsky. Um, he was a Polish barber and hairdresser. 
Uh, he, he emigrated uh, from Congress, Poland, to England in the 1880s. He worked as a hairdresser in Whitechapel in the east end of London. And he... Okay, there's, there's a lot of reasons. There's, there's a lot of reasons. Number one, uh, Aaron Kosminski ended up being institutionalized. Uh, because of like he auditory hallucinations that told him to do things, and there is a record of him threatening his own sister with a knife. Um, he, uh, I mean, a- a- once he's institutionalized, guess what happens? The murders stop. Hmm. Murders cease, dead in their tracks. Whenever Kosminski is ins- institutionalized, Aaron Kosminski hated women absolutely hated women uh he was terrible at socializing with them and uh chief constable melvin mcnaughton uh he said like it was like famous he was known for his profound hatred of women uh in the area uh just and and all the things what's that that doesn't make sense because the Ripper was seen with women a lot. And if he hated women so much and was bad at socializing, it doesn't make sense that they would be near him. Yeah, it, I'm still going with him. Uh, McNaughton, McNaughton wrote in a note, this man became insane owing to many years indulgence and in solitary vices. He had a great hatred of women, especially of the prostitute class. I'm, I'm still saying, um, if you hate enough, you can get past awkwardness. And honestly, you want to be awkward around a prostitute? As long as you got the money, they don't give a shit. But they're not all prostitutes. Thank you, Amber. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, now, Elizabeth Long uh, said she heard the voice of a man who, uh, who uh, led Annie Chapman to her death. Uh, Long said she heard the man ask Annie, will you, as they were discussing their sex work arrangement. And Long said the man had an accent. And Kazminski, he had the accent. He was a Polish Jew. Uh, he, uh, the, the clue left on Golston Street uh, in uh, the wall uh, suggested that Jack the Ripper had a native language other than English. Uh, the person, he, he misspelled the word Jewess, J-U-E. W-E-S instead of Jews. Um, so it was, it was one of those deals where it was like, yeah, that kind of fits here. Uh, and the, the suspect that was spotted fleeing in Catherine Eddowes, he really, really favored Aaron Kosminski. Um, yeah, they, they do seem to fit. Now, here's the thing. And I know we kind of shit on mitochondrial DNA. In 2000, man, uh, historian Russell Edwards wanted to confirm the idea of Jack the Ripper. He was so obsessed with it that he bought the shawl of Catherine Eddowes. He had the shawl DNA tested. They found genetic material on that. The, The two bits of genetic material, one was the mitochondrial DNA that matched the family of Eddowes, and the other was the DNA that matched the family of Kosminski. Um, so is it, is it a done and done? Definitely not. But out of everybody that we have as a suspect, man, Kosminski, he ticks all the boxes for me. Now, I think 
Scott, you, Scott, are so very, very, very possibly correct. Maybe. <laughs> um, I'll take that. <laughs> now, one, I completely discount the, the shawl for one very simple reason. Mitochondria? No, Creepy not talkers. even that. <laughs> yeah, fuck those guys. Um, oh my god, my body! Um, Foosh! <laughs> no. It's the fact that they only found two DNA markers on them of exactly the two people it would have to be. There is no way in hell that thing didn't pass through hundreds of hands and collect hundreds of different DNA types over the time. It's just, it's impossible. And, I mean, for fuck's sake, the way they would have collected it would have been they grab it up, they probably put it in their coat. I it, thought I remembered a story, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, because we talked about this like uh, like months or years or centuries ago, um, where the shawl came from, um, like a policeman actually took it home and gave it to his wife, who did something to do with cloth, and she was like, Ew, and she like stuffed it away somewhere, or am I remembering mm -hmm. incorrectly? I think you are actually remembering correctly, and I think part of that would also mean that cop's family's DNA would have to be on it in some way. I agree with you on that, yeah. I think that's the only reason why it survived. Uh, but after that, because I, I can't remember if it was in an auction it got bought? Yes. Oh. Yes, it was bought at auction. Yeah, and I mean, there's just, it's way too convenient. That said, Kosminski is the suspect that most serious ripperologists say, yeah, it was probably him, including John Douglas, who is uh, one of the greatest profilers in history, even though he gets a lot of stuff wrong. Um, but a uh, good friend of Ed Kemper of Santa Cruz, California. Oh, uh, I love his audiobooks. <laughs> so do I. Also, the way he ripped women's heads off and had sex with the decapitated bodies. Left oh for me. I, I'm less into that part, but the audiobooks are great. Um, <laughs> I drive by his house actually when I go over to the museum over there. Um, if you want, if you want to have a blast, I, I gotta throw this podcast out there. Time suck. Yes, time suck is fantastic. Uh, Dan Cummins is the host. Fucking hilarious. He also does another podcast called Scared to Death with his wife Lindsay Cummins. But Dan Cummins. Uh, his impersonation of fucking Ed Kemper is right on. It's like, can you imagine like Ed Kemper going to the grocery store? And I'd like a, I'd like some ham and I'll fucking kill your wife. <laughs> the guy was what? Six eleven. Yeah. He was gigantic. Jesus. And, and so the house where he lived has this tiny little door. It's like maybe five, six, five, seven. If I have to duck and... down one more time, I'm killing my grandparents. <laughs> Yes, but uh, I don't think he killed, he was Jack the Ripper, but Kosminski might have been. And I'll tell you why. One, he was criminally insane. He didn't have a lot of violent tendencies that had been marked, but was known to have, he was that guy who was like, I'm going to, I'm going to kill her. But you never actually see him do anything. Um, but... And they say, you know, he did crazy things like finding bread in the gutter and then eating it, um, which 
I get gutter bread is some of the best. Um, <laughs> gutter bread. Make... Name of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's how you make sourdough starter in the olden days. Um, but, <laughs> but there was testimony against him. And the reason why the witness uh, didn't testify against him was he didn't want to testify against a fellow Jew. This again speaks to the amount of anti-semitism and the the sort of the closing of ranks of all the jewish people in Whitechapel together to try and protect themselves because they were a community that felt like it was constantly under siege from the anti-semitism of the population in general um i tend to think kosminski is the most reasonable suspect and the fact that it that markers uh, were found on the shawl is interesting and potentially something um but i do question the fact that he didn't have known violent tendencies at that he known violence committed at that point uh does tend to make me step back a little bit but uh yeah he probably was the ripper and if he wasn't um sorry <laughs> Sorry, Kosminski. <laughs> yeah. He also was the longest lived, I believe, of all the suspects. He lived until 1919. Oh, wow. That sounds about right. Most bastards do live a fucking long time. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Evil oh. never dies. I will bury you all then. I mean, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, my next one is George Chapman, which actually, Scott, when you yeah. said born in uh in congress poland and uh hairdresser i was like crap did i do the wrong one or did he do the wrong one because very uh kind of similar background here hairdressers are the most monstrous humans known to man apparently he was born severin klosowski in nogorna poland in 1865 he apprenticed to a senior surgeon at age 14 which is of course when you start your surgeoning um, then he did a four-month course in practical surgery, which, of course, is about as much time as it takes to learn about the human body. It's, it's very simple. It's not complex at all. Uh, then he continued as a doctor's assistant for a couple more years. And, but uh, he was in London by 1887 or 88, working as an assistant hairdresser. He did end up opening his own barber shop. The address uh, given for both his residence and his business in 1889 was 126 Cable Street, which, Chris, help me out here. Is that in or bordering Whitechapel, or is it kind of blurry? Uh, it's kind of blurry. I want to say it's actually, and Whitechapel as a district is sort of blurry, mm -hmm. um, but I kind of think it's actually sort of edgewise. Okay. So it's, it's there, you know, it's, it's certainly close enough for it to be feasible uh, distance-wise. He did uh, get married in 1889 to one Lucy Baderski, um, and they emigrated to America in 1891, where he started up as a barber in Jersey City. Uh, Lucy got pregnant. They had a big, very violent fight. Uh, she fled back to England to have the baby. Uh, he reportedly told her he was going to kill her and hi hide the body. He also was in the middle of strangling her once when a customer came in. So he went to take care of the customer. He was like, I'll be right back, honey. I'll just, you know, <laughs> put a pin in it. Put a pin in it. <laughs> Make it stick. 
and uh, when he was busy with the customer, she found a knife under his pillow, and he was like, yes, that's the knife I'm going to use to behead you. And it, yeah, he definitely was a murderous bastard. Um, soon after the birth, he goes back over to England. They start up again. It doesn't last long. And then he does his thing. He, he does this thing where he constantly cohabitates with women. They say that they're married. They're really not. Um, one, but interestingly enough, the first uh, woman that he does this with is Annie Chapman, but not hmm. that Annie Chapman. Oh, no. <laughs> but isn't it weird? Jeez. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, he basically he brings another woman in, and she's like, no, and she leaves. But he's like, I'm keeping your name, and I'm going to change my first name to George. So he becomes George Chapman. Um, then after that, he hooks up with Annie Spink, uh, who, you know, they said they were married. They started a musical barber shop. She would sing <laughs> while he shaved and cut hair, and people actually liked it. Which really sad. Yeah, really. It's uh, it. <laughs> But uh, he'd also beat the crap out of her quite frequently. The barbershop shop failed. He moved on to the pub business. Um, Annie Spink died on Christmas Day, 1897, and left him 500 pounds. That's $73,000 in today's money. Um, he does this a, a lot. He hires somebody. He beats her. Or he hires somebody who hooks up with her. He beats her. She dies of mysterious causes. And so eventually, after it happened with Maud Marsh, her family was like, what the hell? And she was found to have been poisoned. They body, exhumed the bodies of his other two victims, and poison was found in their systems. Now, he poisoned them with tartar emetic, which has similar symptoms to arsenic. I went down a teeny tiny rabbit hole with tartar emetic, and I just have to tell you guys that it was later used in patent medicines, aka snake oil, to reverse alcohol intoxication, essentially, until 1941, when the courts ruled that it was not effective for use in that manner. In the case, United States versus 11 and a quarter dozen packages of articles labeled in part, Mrs. Moffat's Shoe Fly Powders for Drunkenness. Hmm. <laughs> huh. I need me some shoe fly powders for drunkenness. I love finding the most random, ridiculous things about history. History is just we we did weird shit. We continue to do weird shit, but it it looks so silly. So anyhow, he gets charged. He's convicted. He hangs. Um, his, his widow, the original Lucy, she pretty much got married the second he stopped twitching. Um, now here was where the ripperness comes in. Uh, Frederick Aberline, Ab Aberline, you, Chris, Abilene. help me, Aberline. Okay. I know I pronounced it wrong before, I think. Um, but Aberline, um, he interviewed Lucy, and she was like, yeah, when I was with him, he was out for hours and hours at night. He would take his little bag with him, and he wouldn't come back until, like, 4.30 in the morning. Um, his description does seem to line up with the man seen with Mary Kelly before she was killed. Then, of course, you have the studied surgery thing. But then again... Uh, you know, studied is a, a loose interpretation. And also the idea of whether or not the Ripper really was skilled at that seems to kind of seems to kind of fluctuate depending on who you're talking to. Um, 
The murders did stop when he left London, and similar murders are said to have started up in America soon after he got there. And, but really, it just doesn't seem likely. He probably didn't speak a lot of English. Um, by the time, he probably wouldn't have been in Whitechapel long enough when the murders started happening to actually really know his way around. He was still pretty new. Also, again, we have the switching of modus operandi. He used a specific poison, you know, and he that would have he would have switched not just modus operandi but also victimology, going from mm-hmm. you know k- killing strangers to killing his his lovers. Um, so yeah, it just doesn't seem likely. Uh, and even as far as whether there was a series of Ripper style murders that be, could be connected to him in America, all that is flimsy as well. So yeah, that's where George Chapman stands. George Chapman is a great uh, is a great false hope. Yeah. I think he fits in a lot of areas and a lot of areas he doesn't. The two biggest ones are no one seemed to think he was as young as Chapman was. Chapman was only 23 at the time. And I think the youngest anyone said was 27, 28. Uh, I think one of the PCs actually said that. Uh, and there are lots of other things. One that I really believe happened is I think there was a whole bunch of, particularly by uh, McNaughton and Avaline, there was a lot of convergence of Kosminski and Kozlowski. And I think you'll sometimes see notes that think, attributes that apply to one are given to the other and I think that has to do with not being on the force at the time of the actual investigation but later Um, really I think the problem was sloppy record keeping and note taking and that they didn't have spreadsheets right Amber right (laughs) I'm sorry go ahead Chris I had to (laughs) this is the only time Excel would solve a problem (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, I don't think he's a great suspect. I think he's a decent suspect to look into, um, and definitely a bad dude. Uh, and another phenomenal mustache. Just yep. Ah, uh, to be the face of a man in the nineteenth century. <laughs> All right, Amber, throw it at us. How about? The no ripper theory. Oh, tell me, tell me. Well. <laughs> okay, so not saying the murders didn't happen. They did. But maybe none of them were connected at all. The letters are a hoax. Everything's a lie. There's six killers, and the newspapers just make it want, like, nice. Like, one killer is less scary than six. So, mm-hmm. everything's a lie. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God Amber got this, because now I can say this with all sincerity. Amber's probably right. (laughs) I Um, love hearing that. Say it again. (laughs) Amber is probably right. Woo! Hey, Amber, Um, (laughs) you're probably right. (laughs) I'm so happy. (laughs) Um, It is highly possible that the Ripper, as we understand the Ripper, the 
massive form in a black cape with a hat that obviously was peaked and also a top hat and also looking shabby genteel and also kind of down in his luck and obviously foul smelling um, didn't exist. It is highly possible that there were at least three killers. Now, it is more than likely that the first two and likely the fourth were the same killer. That's highly possible. But it's also highly possible that none of them were, or at least the first two might have been. Can I tell you my favorite? Which one? My favorite is that the police themselves killed the first three women for blackmail reasons. A politician who fled to America was behind the fourth. The fifth was so badly disfigured, it was a red herring that it was probably an undercover policewoman. Damn, that's that's dedication to your job. I <laughs> that's love it. Solid. That's defund the police. Um, but uh, there's lots of really interesting theory about the no ripper theory that I, I know in my weaker moments are like, yeah, totally, completely. But then in my stronger moments, I'm like, oh yeah. And then in my like strongest <laughs> moment, I'm like, Amber is totally right. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, no, it's a really interesting theory that one, that it was the newspapers that drove copycat killers is another one. Um, people who really just wanted to murder their significant others or a rival and ended up just doing it. And that means that potentially any of the other suspects who are named uh, could have been the Ripper. You know, one could have been Druitt, one could have, it would have been like selection C of the Clue movie that it could have been all of the people we expect. Um, because if they're all rippers, there are no rippers. I really like this as a theory. In addition to what Amber said about it you know, being like safer if there's just one murderer as opposed to several, I like it because I, we as human beings, we like patterns we like to find patterns in things i mean that's the whole reason we categorize you know we divide things up into little groups that's the whole reason that like movies and and film and and literature has genres you know we say all these things have similar properties and therefore they belong in the same box and when these murders started happening in a very violent area um and they seem to share some similar properties although we've discussed that it wasn't necessarily the case and people just put them all in the same box both out of fear that there was even more violence than they thought and more to be afraid of and also just that habit that comforting feeling of being able to put everything in one box and say okay these are all the same i'm going to put it over here and then i'm going to move on with my life correct hey i'm right too <laughs> <laughs> but not as right as amber no, not as right as amber. <laughs> nobody ever will be so Scott has far. to step up his game and reach you too. Aaron Kosminski is everybody. <laughs> <laughs> he's you. He's me. He's everyone. He's here. He's the mitochondria. He's, he's the mitochondria, no question. That's what the M stands for. Aaron Mitochondria <laughs> Kosminski. <laughs> oh, that's so creepy. I hate it. I hate it. Oh, all right. I think are you guys both out of suspects i am okay i have two more and that's perfect because they go perfectly together um 
And then real quick, I want to talk about, uh, just to give an info on, on jacktheripper.org, they have a poll where people can mm -hmm. answer who their most likely suspect is, and we'll give you the numbers on that. So, hey, all right. Christy, can I do yeah. one after you do your two? Absolutely. This okay. is one that wasn't on the list, right, that you gave me? Yes. Okay, I just want to make sure that we're not like doubling up or that I wasn't stealing one from you. Okay. I blame no, Scott. Just has more Chris just has more tricks up his sleeve. <laughs> mwaha, mwahaha. All right. So Prince Albert Victor Christian <laughs> Edward. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Do you have him um, in the can? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was known to friends and family as Eddie. Uh, he was the son of Prince Albert, the future King Edward VII, and Princess Alexandra. He was born in 1864. Now, he was known to be kind of a dull boy. He was, it was, he was kind, he was nice, but he was also just boring as all hell, not smart at all, not even the least bit, had no ambition. Um, and so just really it doesn't necessarily go into you know tying him to specific things so much as just this theory that he had syphilis he went insane that led him to commit these murders um and that the royal family knew that he was the murderer pretty much all along and did nothing about it until the double event happened at which point they were like we're locking you up and throwing away the key but despite that he still managed to escape pull up the Mary Kelly murder and then was locked up again until he died in 1892 which is he actually did but the royal family claimed it was due to the influenza epidemic but ripper theorists who like him for the suspect say it was softening of the brain due to syphilis which uh, okay um, but the thing is the records show that he was away for every single important date uh, in the Ripper, like the Canon 5. And yes, at first I was like, records can be falsified, but then I saw like there were letters, there were newspaper articles, there's court records from multiple different, you know, um, royal families, because he'd be like visiting other royal families and such. It just feels like too much, either that or if they were, were falsifying all these records, they just were really invested. <laughs> So. <laughs> now there's another theory with him that is not necessarily him but it basically says he got into a relationship with his tutor at Cambridge, James Stephan, and when their relationship ended nothing happened until two years later when Stephan had Stephen Stephen, Stephan, whatever um, had, he, he's probably dead, he doesn't care um, had <laughs> some kind of accident that left him brain damaged although sources very wildly as to what that was and that he then committed the murders out of revenge um so yeah that's i feel like those are pretty not likely at all but i did save that and then my final one for last because this final one is my favorite you guys you guys <laughs> <laughs> i know exactly it what it is you know what it is. It takes so many of the things that have popped up in our discussions <laughs> these past two weeks, and it ties them all together with a very ridiculous bow. <laughs> all right. So this is Dr. William Gull. 
Now, he's tied to Eddie. Uh, he's a very prominent, accomplished physician who actually once saved Eddie's father's life. They remember the future king. And he ended up becoming one of the uh, royal family's physicians. Uh, so this all starts in the 1890s when a random newspaper mentions that everybody knows who the Ripper is and it's a prominent doctor. Then, in the 70s, the BBC aired a miniseries on Jack the Ripper where they had these fictional detectives and basically said that somebody had sent them to go talk to uh, a man named Sickert. All right? <laughs> and... So they talk to this man and they get this whole story. So the story is that Eddie, our wonderful, nice, dull, young prince, was uh, sent off to live with Sickert, who was, as we said, a painter. Uh, in the, when he was there, uh, Eddie knocked up a local girl named Annie and married her. And then Queen Victoria was not amused. Oh, so, she can go suck it. <laughs> well, she didn't. What she did was she had Annie taken off to, you know, hidden in, in some basement of some asylum or something. And Gull, you know, royal physician, was sent to experiment on her to try to both uh, wipe her memory and drive her insane. And yet somehow she had the child and the child escaped and was given to one Mary Kelly. Bum, bum, bum. I know. So it was said that Mary Kelly worked with Annie and worked as a model for Sickert. So Mary can't hide the child forever, so she sends the little girl off to where you always hide a child, the nunnery. And then she hid herself in the East End, which does line up with that whole idea of she was running from something and we you know like we discussed it last week as trafficking but maybe it was a royal conspiracy <sighs> so she had some friends and she told them the whole story and as a group they were like you know what's a good idea blackmail and once again Queen Victoria was not amused those friends Polly Nichols Liz Stride Annie Chapman. <gasps> so, the idea is that the royal family conspires to kill the women and in so doing show how you shouldn't speak or conspire against the royals. This is basically, it's both killing the women, ending the threat, and sending a message. And they're doing this using Masonic imagery. <gasps> Yay! I love the Masons. Good, good job on the moon landing and hiding, hiding the reptilian nature of all our leaders. You need to work on Trump's skin tone, though. Hey, yes. Scott, I see you're a traveling man. Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, so the theory goes that Gull committed the murders, or the story, really, um, with the help of a coachman. And then we have, so I mentioned Mary Kelly, Polly Nichols, Liz Stride, Annie Chapman. You notice Kate Eddowes wasn't in there. Well, she is explained away as an accident because she went by the name Mary Kelly as well. <gasps> you have Zoom. no idea 
how excited I was when I was reading this. I knew it was all bullshit, and still, I was so excited. I was like, this just this just takes all of the things that have popped up and driven me crazy, and it, it, it solves them. Oh, God. Oh, okay. Um, and this is also, and so after they figured out that, oh, she wasn't actually Mary Kelly, they went after the real Mary Kelly, and probably also explains why hers was the most brutal of all. So kind of also ties into Amber's theory that Mary Kelly was the ultimate target. And Do I get to be else, right again? You get to be right again, except not. But uh, <laughs> so, and this even some some discussions of this theory even tied Druid in. We get him in there. Uh, it, the theory goes that they're like, we'll just pin the murders on him murder him make it look like a suicide and then make everybody think that he did it by you know whispering in the police's ear and that apparently you know worked for some people and then in quite a weird circumstance the child survived annie's little girl and eddie's so royal blood in those veins married walter sickert and they had a child who grew up to tell the BBC all this for their program on Jack the Ripper. <laughs> Bravo. Mm -hmm. Yes. Five years later, that same man would recant his story. Quote, it was a hoax. I made it all up. End quote. And he also called it a whopping fib. We have some proof that Annie survived and was in workhouses with her child after 1888. And of course, there's no records with Eddie, you know, like either being married to her or fathering a child with her. But as the, as the theorists say, well, if it's a royal conspiracy, there wouldn't be records, would there? And oh. yeah, I love it, love it, love it, love it, love it, because it has so many of those threads that we picked at. And I hate it because it's so fucking bonkers that I know it's not true. <laughs> well, here's how I can tell you it's not true. Because everyone knows if the British royal family wants to kill you, they will just occupy your country and wait a couple of generations. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, no. The royal conspiracy and Sir William Gull is a longstanding crackpot concept that I love as well. Um, not that I'm a conspiracy theorist, but my tinfoil hat is showing. Um, <laughs> I am fascinated by all the fiction that has come out of that, including Alan Moore's From Hell. Uh, wonderful, wonderful fiction. And a Michael Caine, uh, Jack the Ripper show from 1988. I remember that. that. Oh, my God. Uh, my favorite scene from that, where he takes the, uh, how much blood was there? Gallons. Oh, really? Gallons. And he throws, like, the fire bucket on the floor. Look at that. You spill a teacup. Gallons. <laughs> I'm but drunk. What's <laughs> <laughs> but what's hilarious, and actually, that and the Peter Ustinov, uh, the real Jack the Ripper, I can't remember what it was called, those were what got me into the Ripper. It was the 100th anniversary. The Peter Ustinov. I actually have a VHS copy of that. It's called The Search for Jack the Ripper. Yes, and I have it on uh, this thing called YouTube. Yeah. Um, and I watch it pretty obsessively. Um, that was the first time I ever heard of John Douglas. For that was the first time I'd ever heard of Aaron Kosminski. And by the end of that, everybody went, "Is Aaron Kosminski. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, a really, really great story. Um, but it's just a story. And I'm still going to say that none of this is actually correct. I'm sorry, Amber. 
you were wrong. Nope. Um, Because I know the actual answer. The actual Jack the Ripper was some random guy in Whitechapel. And it all sort of makes sense if you think about it. If there was anything that pointed to any of the people that have been looked at over the years, it would have been found. If the one thing that Web Sleuth has taught us, it's that you cannot successfully hide and be named. We've seen that in so many people. Uh, the John Cranew uh, murder in Stanford uh, recently uh, that was uncovered. That, you know, the Golden State Killer. These were people who were completely under the radar that no one ever even had on a suspect's list. And I think that's what, that's what makes it so maddening. I think it's that whoever it was just had nothing ever even conceived of as a suspect and just sort of floated away uh, I think that sadly that's completely unsatisfying so I'm basically any one of the last films of the decade um, I just think really honestly it was just some guy that we'll never have any idea of because he wasn't a criminal mastermind pretending to be a criminal mastermind he wasn't an ego he let someone else write the letters and never made any attempt to connect them because why would he? I mean, he wasn't stupid, but I don't think he was a genius. I just think he was a crazy guy who got kind of lucky and wasn't so crazy that they put him in the loony hatch. And I think that, that we really... know of. Fair point. Okay, Amber is back to being correct. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why the murder stopped. Maybe he went to the loony bin for something completely unrelated. Or maybe he cut out his own tongue and then he couldn't talk so he couldn't say anything so no one could catch him. There you go. That's what happened. Solved it. Ah, done. All right, guys, let's get some sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but yeah, no, I think that's great. But I think there was that poll you mentioned that I really want to hear the results of. Yes, let's talk about the poll. So, um, that was this as of July eighth, when I first copied and pasted this into my Word document on JackTheRipper.org. Which, if you want to vote, I will put the link to specifically the poll in the show notes. Um, there's a total of fifteen thousand nine hundred forty-six votes. All right, I'm going to do approximate percentages. Fifteen percent for Aaron Kosminski. Yay! That's a win for Scott. Twelve mm-hmm. percent for Doctor Francis Tumbledee. Oh, I stubbed my toe. Eleven um, percent <laughs> for James Maybrick, who we did not discuss today. Ten percent for Charles Cross. Nine percent, very close to ten percent for Montague John Drewitt. For Walter Sickert, and four. 0.5% for just some local nobody and I really should have you know what uh, it says other and then there's a link and you can click view and that's uh, 26.2% I really should have clicked that link <laughs> I'm going to go do that now because I didn't realize that that's like I didn't even look at the, the number specifically to see that it was a, a quarter of the freaking answer so no it was a dude um, James Other uh, very, 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 very few people research him, but he's really good. I think he's you really met good, but... John Other. Uh... 
<laughs> so AJ well Holmes at 4%, uh, Joseph Barnett, 3.3%, Thomas Cutbush, 1.98%, Jacob Levy, 1.65%, George Chapman, 1.55%, uh, I'm skipping down to Prince Albert Edward Victor, 1.39%, Leather Apron, 1 1.25%, and it just gets lower and lower. I mean, Neil Cream gets 0.61% uh, of the vote. Um, the, the very last two people out of 15,000, some people have voted for Louis Dean Schutz um, at 0.01%. I know that name. He was the, oh, sorry, more people have voted for him because he, another 55. He's on the list twice for some reason. Mm -hmm. um, Louis Diemschutz, is he the one who found Liz Stride's body, I want to say? I think so. I... He found a body outside like the, the yeah. men's club? Yes. And was questioned and released. Yes, he found the body of Elizabeth Stride. Okay, so 57 yeah. people out of uh, 15,000 some think it was him. So yeah, mm -hmm. I will put the link to that, and so you can go and vote. And I think I'm I'm going to vote tonight as well. I just don't know yet who I'm going to vote. I'm probably going to vote for just some local nobody. It it feels right. It feels honestly like I think I think Chris has it that you know it's all these so many so many names get bandied about, but really there's just such a such a strong chance that it was just somebody whose name we never heard, you know. Or maybe that's what he wants us to think. Yeah, there you go. That could be it. So, yeah, that's uh, that's our Jack the Ripper series, guys. We did it. Yay! <laughs> Murder! <laughs> so, yeah, that was jack the ripper the timeline the victims and the suspects i hope uh we hope everybody enjoyed or was edified at least by this presentation of probably the world's most famous crimes i would say um at least of you know historical and within our realm of of that we hit on this podcast so yeah um don't forget to hit us up on social media we're on facebook twitter and insta as old timey crimey our Patreon is patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey. We have several offerings there, including the old tiny crimeys. We had an interesting one tonight. We talked about burial clubs. Um, and yeah, so just go in and check out what we have on offer there. We would really appreciate it. If you're not the long-term relationship type, you just want to leave a buck on the nightstand, you can uh, PayPal us at oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com. Rate, review, subscribe. Tell your friends. And yeah, so weekend plans, you guys, now that we've successfully completed this this very fascinating but slightly arduous at times journey. <laughs> I am going to I, I've been trying to find a, like a good spot in my house to make my recording studio. And then I realized I have a little storage uh, storage room underneath my uh, my first floor staircase. Hello, my new recording studio. Nice. Scott, yeah. Scott, yeah. you've got like five floors. Yeah, but <laughs> you really each, like I don't know where to put this. Each room is huge, so I don't want to get that echo. So I was thinking like making one of the bathrooms my recording studio, but no. That's more echo. Underneath the stairs. I'll be able to pat it and it'll be perfect. It'll be on the first floor. Don't have to climb to the top of uh, Scott Manor and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's my big plan for this week. I'm going to go next. So 
I bought an air fryer. <gasps> and I know fried like air is the best. <laughs> I'm like super last on the list of people to own one, but like I've been putting it off because I have a small kitchen. I'm like, I don't need more stuff. I cook all the time. I have every tool known to man. I'm like, I don't need more stuff. And the 4th of July sale on Amazon told me otherwise. And so um, I got a six quart air fryer and I'm gonna give that baby a go all weekend long. <laughs> nice. Services will be held for Amber in August 15th. <laughs> <laughs> due for a, no. due to a massive clogged artery. No, okay, so like I have deep fry days here, like usually. So like once every couple of weeks I have deep fry day where I fill up a vat of oil and I fry everything for a day. I just fry anything I can get my hands on, the vegetables, the meat, whatever. It's all fried. And so like I, I think this will help keep me alive longer. Fair I'll enough. be right over. <laughs> <laughs> Services will be held September 15th for <laughs> No, seriously, you can ask our friend B. She came over for my last deep fry day. I deep fried fish, shrimp, chicken, uh, some form of potato I don't even recall at this point. I had green beans ready to go to deep fry before I realized that there was like eight plates on the table full of deep fried food. And I'm like, meh, fuck it. We don't need a vegetable. Like, <laughs> Good point. Good call. I go a little crazy on deep fried day. So this is this is this is a good thing, hopefully. <laughs> you know, my weekend. Uh I'm gonna be sitting around the house writing, painting, trying to pretend I don't have children. Um, but probably the big thing is gonna be uh my fanzine Journey Planet up for the Hugo this year. Nice. Um, Ooh, congratulations. Going for Thank the you. double deuce. Uh I'd like to have three. That would be nice. Uh, but what's happening this weekend is we're releasing a issue about Battle Comic, a comic from England. And it's 200 pages of interviews with comic creators and fans and me and people uh, talking about this comic that I had never read, but is amazing. And now we're going to release it and I'm going to be like, great. Now what do I do? <laughs> And everybody should go read that, and you can find the link in the show notes as well. So things for you to look at in the show notes, especially Journey Planets. So uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to be wearing dresses with pockets. I know that much. Um, uh, maybe, I don't know. I have my, my first uh, consultation with the pain clinic to potentially get, like, steroid shots for my back on Monday. So I, I might just... Um, lay around in pain all weekend <laughs> or all sometimes that i'm okay and I can... awesome that sounds great <laughs> <laughs> good times um but yeah i'm just gonna do podcasty stuff and artsy stuff and just basically keep uh keep living my life so yeah that's me that's me right now podcasts and crafts essentially uh so yeah thank you again for listening thank you for listening to our filthy words i'm right on the verge of making that a song you guys i'm so close <laughs> <laughs> at the very least it'll be thank you for listening to our filthy words you know what? i have i have my flute around here somewhere i will go ahead and just play along for your singing if you want Ooh, accompaniment so i've got a trumpet and a trombone but i can't play either so <laughs> let's do this I've got a violin and a ukulele I can't play. Oh, oh, just you wait. I'm like five feet away from my fucking drum set.
<laughs> We've got a band, folks. It's the old timey crimey. So I can I'm seriously looking around right now. I can see from my seat a drum set, a giant keyboard, a guitar, a uh I, I can't even remember the name of the instrument. The zither. No, I bought it. I bought it for my daughter, and she actually played it in the band last year. I'm pretty sure, just to be ironic, um, it, it's some weird string instrument that looks like a, a triangle that you play. I don't know. Oh, mandolin. <laughs> what? <laughs> Amber, did you say something? <laughs> I can't think of the name of the instrument that Carter played last year. It's not a lute or a balalaika? Or a mandolin? No, it's none of those things. It's something very, like, obscure. Harp? <laughs> the bells? I'll continue talking and I will think of it. <laughs> All right. Well, we don't have much left to say. Um, <laughs> i got to ask, Chris. Battle comic. Am I remembering this correctly? Are these the ones with like the testosterone-filled covers? Kind of. They were a, a British newsprint, but yeah, they definitely had like people getting shot on the covers and people running and letters. Do yourself a favor. If you ever want to have just the best night in the world, get some friends over and do a <laughs> Google image search for 1950s men's magazine covers. Oh, yes, I have done that. Oh, my I... God. Some of them are classic. <laughs> my favorite title so far, Bullwhip Battle at the Dude Ranch for Divorcees. <laughs> and I mean, oh. there, there were a lot of stuff that you could depend on. Men fighting all manner of animals. Just weasels, snapping turtles, tarantulas, crabs. You name it. You name they it. They're all fighting crabs. Exactly. Um, well, yeah. Privately. And the, my favorite part of it was whenever they would pick up one of the animals and was swinging it at the other animal, beating them with their own kind. And if you were what? a woman with a red shirt, God fucking help you. You were dead. Auto harp. Auto harp. Auto harp. Oh, yeah. The, with the things and the keys and the harping. Yeah. So there's also an ocarina around here somewhere. Oh, my Lord. We have yeah. a lot of instruments. We're a very strange family. <laughs> yeah, we do, too. We have a keyboard, a bass, a guitar, a ukulele, the trumpet, the trombone, a recorder, and a frog. It's a wooden frog you play with a stick. Those are the best! <laughs> I love those! <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> I think it's time to go. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our filthy words, and we will see you next week. Bye. 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 Vaya con Dios. Okay. My sources this week are casebook.org, jacktheripper.org, and Wikipedia. My sources for this week are Wikipedia, whitechapeljack.com, and casebook.org. My sources this week are jacktheripper.org, whitechapeljack.com, crimereads.com, jacktherippertour.com, daily bulletin by David Allen. My sources this week are jacktheripper.com, casebook.com, wikipedia.com, and the wonderful people at the ton 
who talk about Jack the Ripper every week and remind me every time I make the minorest mistake. I believe you mean Jack the Ripper, not Jack the Ripper. <laughs> the accent goes on the second syllable. Ying. <laughs> <laughs> I stand corrected.